you brought a copy of Scripture with you today, you can find the Old Testament book of Ruth as we begin in earnest our exposition of this passage. Ruth, chapter 1. And as you go there, I have a question for you. If you could wind back your personal clock 10 years, would you do it? Hold it. You sure you want to go there? Well, welcome to one of the greatest dramas in all of Scripture. And it's a love story. We all like those, amen? Well, all the women say amen. It's one of only two books that's named after a woman. There'd be more if I had my way. You'll see that here in a minute. It's a great story. It is a love story. And it has lots of twists and turns and not a few sorrows, as we'll see this morning. Some really deep hurts. But throughout the story, it will point us to the greatest love story this world has ever known. But the beginning of this story is going to beg Not one, not two, but three questions for me and for you. Here's the first one. What's your name? Here's the second. Where are you from? And here's the third. Where are you headed? That's embedded in these first five verses, if you'll follow with me in this introduction to Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled... There was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, the name of our book, say it everyone, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. And both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Just the other day, I I popped into our son Daniel's home unannounced. Our son Daniel, not a part of this church, formerly was. Now he's a part of the SALT network, and he's going to be planting a church, Lord willing, in Illinois uh, about a year from now. So I popped in on him and his family unannounced, so I didn't know what was going on, and unbeknownst to me, they had another couple there that they were entertaining over a meal, and the hopes of them leaving their place here and going with them in a year. So right away, I apologize for interrupting. They said, no, 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 Dad, come on in and and join us for a meal, and since I like hamburgers, I did. (laughs) So I'm sitting down with this couple. I'm looking right at them, and I've never met them before. So we've got to go through some formalities, right? What's your name? Where are you from? 
Where are you headed? As it turns out, his name was Joshua. You have, you have great biblical roots if your name is Joshua. Uh, Joshua means salvation, means God saves. And the place he was from, not his town per se, but his background, his life, his experience, was a different sort of thing. As I listened to him articulate himself, he told, he wasn't, he's a young, young man, but old enough to have a few years behind him and a lot of hurts, some really deep hurts, including a failed marriage. Now, here's the irony. The wife from that failed marriage led him to the gospel where he was saved, where he found his name, Joshua, where he found salvation. Now, how does this stuff happen? Well, it's not uncommon. I'll bet if we surveyed in this room, we get 20 or 30 stories that could say something similar of all the twists and turns of life. And if you just take a few moments to think about all of those twists and all of those turns in your own life, you will marvel and you will praise the God of providence. The providence of God should be one of our favorite attributes of his character. It is the, it, it's the promise of God's will that he will, as John pointed out last week, as the, word, the root word of providence is to provide, and to provide literally means to see to it. And that's what the providence of God does. It's God's administrator by which God, using people, circumstances, events, all of the ups and downs, the darkness and the lights and everything else about life to bring us to his intended goal. And this is why New Testament Christians love to claim Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. When you invoke Romans 8, 28, which says all things work together for to those who to those who are called according to his purpose. When you invoke Romans 8, 28, you are invoking the providence of God. And all of it is wrapped up in one word, that word, together. Therein lies the providence of God. What does together look like? What is God weaving together? What has he woven together in your life? I've given in my own little operational definition of, of God's providence. Here it is. God's working out the circumstances that bring about his sovereign will. That's pretty simple, but I'm a simple kind of guy. There it is. That's the providence of God. And it's really found in the book, the two books named after women, Ruth and Esther, like in no other books in the Bible. But we need to get back to those questions. What's your name? Where are you from? Where are you headed? Okay. My name is Patrick. The, the, the name Patrick means noble man. Think about that, noble man. I don't know why more of you aren't naming your kids Patrick. <laughs> I had to lead an Irish woman to Christ to get a kid by the name of Patrick into this church. I got over 30 grandkids, and not one of them is named Patrick. I got a couple of middle names. I mean, that's all. My wife is going to kill me for saying this. But names were big deals, big deals in Bible times, and they're big deals in the book of Ruth. People didn't name their name. They didn't give kids names because they were cool or they saw some movie. Oh, it's so cool. I thought the character was so neat. What in the world? 
People never name their kids like that in Bible times. I remember walking to a restaurant one day and seeing a, a young lady. She was probably close to 18 by then. I hadn't seen her for a few years. She was in our youth group. She was a rebel then. She just went completely off the rails. And I hadn't seen her until then. And here she was. And I greeted her. And she was holding her baby, her baby. And I asked her what her baby's name was. And she said, Brazen. I mean, I caught myself saying, your baby's name is Brazen? I can't believe I said that. Who names their kid Brazen? Well, we have some names. There's almost, there's almost a waterfall of names here. You saw them in these first five verses. A plethora of names, and they have some interesting meanings as well. The husband is Elimelech. Any Elimelechs here? It'd be a good name. His name means God is my king. That's a great meaning of a name, right? And yet clearly the story tells us that God is not reigning in Elimelech's life. He's not living up to his name. Then his wife, Naomi, her name means pleasant. In fact, you could translate her name in Hebrew, beautiful. What a cool name, your name meaning beautiful if it's Naomi. But she's not very pleasant. And if you know the story, she's not very beautiful. I mean, she might be, but she doesn't come off as beautiful. Names were so big in Bible times, they were related to the hopes and the dreams and the aspiration of God's covenant people. They would be named after their adoration of God, like Elimelech. God is my king. Why, why wouldn't I name my kid after my love for God? The circumstances around somebody's birth might have given way to a name or, or the, the times, good, bad, or otherwise. So, for instance, remember, uh, remember here is Abraham and Sarah. They finally have a son between ages 90 and 100, which is a miracle in and of itself. And uh, God says to Abraham, you're going to have a son. What's he do? He does what you and I do. He laughs. He laughs. Later on, Sarah finds out she's going to have a son, and she laughs, and so they name their kid Laughter. That's what Isaac means. Now, Isaac has a couple of twins, and they are Jacob and Esau. Actually, the right order is Esau and Jacob. So they come out, and the first one, Esau comes out. He's red and really hairy, so they named him Harry. That's what Esau means. He might as well have been called Harry. And the other one's name is, you know it, Yahab, heel grabber, because he comes out grabbing his brother's heel. Later, the connotation means deceiver, one who makes his life by tricking and deceiving others. More positively, you have this godly woman by the name of Hannah pleading with God. She's childless. Please give me a child. Give me a son. Give me a son. He does. And when she has that son, she names him, God heard me, Samuel. And then comes Jesus, and the angel speaks to Joseph and says, you will call his name Jesus because that's what he's going to do. His name means salvation, and he will save his people from their sins. Now, back to this plethora of names. We've got Elimelech, you know, God's my king. You got Naomi, beautiful. And then you have their sons, Malon. Malon, his name means sickly. And Kilion, his name means weepy. Behold, my sick and crybaby over here. 
We're not told why. Why would you give somebody such a name? Obviously, it's the time of the judges. They're living in a famine. You saw that in the first verse. This is, the, the days are dark. The times are dark. They're difficult. 13th century BC. It's the darkest period in Israel's existence. They have no king. They perpetually sin. God judges them. They turn back to God. God sends them a judge. That man or woman helps to lead them out of their morass, whatever it happens to be. And there are cycle after cycle after cycle of these things. It's pathetic. There's seven of them. And the very last verse in the very last chapter of the book of Judges, where Ruth finds its time, tells us, you just look right above there, and the, well, we'll put it up for you. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And there's your summation of the times. Somebody says, then, what about now? I mean, society today, as then, so there's nothing new under the sun here, tolerates every aberrant lifestyle imaginable now, and then declares that if you and I don't, we're the bigots, we're the homophobes, we're the racist, we're the intolerant, we're the ones out of touch. Let me tell you something. God's ways have always been out of touch with man's ways, and they always will be. It doesn't make us a bunch of weirdos. It just makes us different. My ways are not your ways, saith the Lord, right? So Ruth, the book of Ruth is sort of cordoned off, separate from the book of Judges, while it could be incorporated right into the book of Judges. In fact, I'd like to see... Several other books having come out of Judges. I mean, you, you could have had like the book of, of Deborah. There's a lot of ink given to her. Then you'd have a third book named after a woman. How cool would that be, ladies? And, uh, and then, or you could have a, 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 the book of Gideon. There's a, several pages given to him. You could call that from zero to hero. And then the most famous of Judges is Samson, right? I mean, you got to have a separate book for Samson. I mean, he would be a, he would be a practicum. He would be a, a theology of sin in somebody's life, right? In fact, if you want to know, if you want to outline the life of Samson, beginning in chapter 13 of Judges, here's how you could outline it. And you could, you could title it, sin will, dot, dot, dot. Sin will find you. Sin will bind you. Sin will blind you. And sin will grind you. That would be the whole life of Samson right there. Ruth, however, is separated from this book. Why is that? Well, for one, she's not a judge. All those others were actual judges. And secondly, unlike most of the characters in Judges, she and her hero, Boaz, are beautiful. Beautiful people. I, I was thinking about this, and several years ago, I mean, like several, I was like 10. I, I come from a family. I got eight brothers and sisters. I'm the yeah, bottom of the totem pole. I'm number eight out of nine. And my oldest sister had lost the diamond out of her wedding ring. And we were at a party. And suddenly it was all points bulletin. We're just fanning out everywhere. We're upstairs, downstairs in the house. I, I can still remember walking around the grass looking for this diamond. Can't find it. And my little brother, Bobby, he's just out playing in the alley. He's just clueless. He looks down in the mucky muck and says, 
pulls up the diamond. That's Ruth. Ruth is a diamond in the mucky muck of your life and mine, and certainly in the history of Israel. Names were big. Ruth's name means friend or friendly, affectionate friend. But so were places. And if you notice in the reading, they came from Bethlehem and Judah, okay? So Bethlehem is mentioned and Moab is mentioned. Now, Bethlehem means house of bread. Now, that, the reason for that is because Bethlehem was the breadbasket of Israel. It's where they got wheat. It's where they got barley, where, where it grew a plenty. But nothing grows when it ain't raining, right? And there's a famine going on here. This is the very thing that caught, this is the impetus by which, this is the circumstance by which Elimelech and family take off for Moab. Now, Moab's on the other side of the tracks, it's across the Dead Sea. It's down on the southeastern side. And it's the place of darkness and evil and moral, just everything disgusting you can possibly imagine. And in fact, God has told the Israelites, don't mingle there. Deuteronomy 7 says, don't marry them. A clear warning. And because this is where the Moabites live. Why? What's, what's, what? He's so judgmental about the Moabites, God. Do you know where the Moabites came from? Ruth, did you see that? She's a Moabite. Well, let me just give you a quick history. You've got Abraham saves Lot. Lot ends up moving down into Sodom. Remember that? God saves Lot and his family. The only ones left are Lot and his two daughters, before he destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember that? And so Lot and his two daughters find themselves in a cave. The two daughters are really concerned that they're not going to be able to have any children. They have no husbands. So they get their dad inebriated, and through an incestuous relationship, they both have boys. And here's what the scripture says. The firstborn, the firstborn bore a son and called his name. Say it. Moab. He is the father of the Moabites. And now you know where Ruth came from. How did these things happen? I'll tell you how they happen. By the providence of God who wants to take your ashes and turn them into beauty. Amen? Elimelech and Naomi left the land of blessing. And they move to a land of cursed people, the Moabites. What, what motivates people to move anyway? I mean, what motivates you to move? Your job? If you're really young, maybe adventure? Opportunity? How about desperation? We're, these are desperate circumstances here, are they not? And our story really stops short of condemning Elimelech and Naomi for this move. But the awful results indicate that they were not moving by faith. And they stayed there. Remember, it says they remained there for a while. We, we find out just another verse later how long. Ten years. They're there ten years. And did you notice in verse 3? The head of the family, the leader of the pack, the one whose name means God is my king, Elimelech, dies. I'm pretty sure that wasn't in the plan. 
Their two sons then become products of the environment that they're in. How can they help but become that? They marry pagan women. I mean, most of us would chastise Elimelech's sons for marrying pagan women. But wow, what an outcome. I'm referring to those of you who've read ahead here. And this can only be explained by the sovereignty and the providence of God. Because here's the deal. Listen, Ruth is a picture of the church. Remember that. She's a picture of the church. We are Ruth. We are Ruth. We are the spiritual Moabites. We're the outcasts. We're the sinners. We're the unworthy. We're the unholy. But God, in his love and grace and providence and sovereignty and through his son, takes us, he accepts us, he loves us, he forgives us, and he brings us into his family. Hallelujah! But I'm getting ahead of myself and the story. Back to Malon and Kilion. They die too. I mean, there's nothing but death all over the place here. You only got three, three women left. There's only three women standing. Let's face it, guys. Our women have outstood us for a long time. Amen? A whole lot of misery here. Oh, by the way, do you notice what there isn't a lot of? There's no kids. Ten years. Malon, Kilion, Orpah, Ruth, no kids. Naomi, though, is in a bad place. She's at a dead end. A woman today can make it without a husband or a son, but not then. Naomi left for Moab in desperation. She ends up there destitute and dead. This whole opening scene smells like death. The family of Elimelech left the place of promise to look for life, and all they found was death, which is the same thing some of you have been chasing all of your lives. Death, 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 dead end, dead end, dead end. Just because it looks better doesn't mean it's blessed. Remember that. For the balance of our time, for the balance of our time, I want to ask you, those three questions, and put it on us personally, okay? What's your name? What's your name? Naomi would end up changing her name from better to worse, from beautiful to bitter. Remember that? She gets there, don't call me Naomi, beautiful. Call me Mara, bitter. God wants to change your name from bitter to beautiful. You've got to believe that. But it's going to take something on your part to make it happen. Do you remember the story of Jacob, the trickster, the deceiver, the heel grabber? That's a, I mean, it was a depiction of his entire life. All he was was a shyster. And, but God was going to do something with him, like he wants to do with some of you. And so one night, God meets him and famously wrestles with him all night long. Remember that story? All night they wrestle. It's a fixed fight, obviously. But they're going at it, and, 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 and Jacob finally figures out, I'm wrestling with God. 
And, and he says, oh, I want you to bless me. Bless. I'm not letting go of you until you bless me. And God does bless him. But not until he admits something. God said to him, what is your name? That's the question God asked Jacob. He's asking you the same thing. What is your name? And Jacob had to swallow hard, and he knew what his name meant. And he said back to God, my name is Yahab. I am the deceiver. I am the sinner. And then God blessed him, changed him, and changed his name too while he was at it. Just like he'll do for you. But first, you have to admit your name. You are a sinner. You are lost. You are separated. You have no hope without the God you're trying to hang on to. And he wants to take you in to his family. But you have to admit who you are. What is your name? Secondly, where are you from? Where are you from? What's your background? Do you have sins that you'd rather not talk about? Sins of pride, stubbornness. Do you have scars that you'd rather conceal as a result, consequences of your sin? Let me ask you something. Is it possible that the providential God has brought you to this very moment so that you might acknowledge all of that hardness, all of that difficulty, some brought on by you, some maybe not, but it's all by design to make you beautiful. Is that possible? Where are you from? And lastly, and most importantly, where are you headed? Where are you going? Are you already there? Some of you are already in Moab right now. You're there. Some of you are walking that way. And it's not looking good. What are you going to do? Where are you headed? You say, how do I know? How can I know? Let me ask, here's, we just got done singing. Why don't you use that as a barometer for right now? Can you sing? I don't mean do you have a great voice. Can you sing? I don't mean you can't. I don't mean can you follow the tune. I don't mean do you sound beautiful when, you're, when it's coming out of your mouth. But can you sing from your heart, from your heart, the praises of God? Because if you can't, then you're not heading in the right direction. There is a pathetic psalm with a pathetic line. That always draws me in. The children of Israel are in Babylon. And they're being heckled. They're being tormented by their captors. Who say to them, sing us one of the songs of Zion. <laughs> Come on, sing us one of those songs. And the psalmist replies, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Is that you? Can you sing the Lord's song? 
Nobody ever plans to stay in the wrong place for very long. Not if they claim to know God. Nobody plans that, right? I don't think they planned it either, but there they are a decade later. Elimelech and Naomi would never and could never have envisioned the consequences of their actions, but we never do, do we? We never do. Not when things look so good on the other side, right? By the way, if the grass looks greener on the other side, you can bet the water bill's higher too. Remember that. Of course it feels better and looks better than what you have. It wouldn't be a temptation if it didn't. It's all designed to weave discontent in your heart that will take you away from God. Christopher Ashe, in his exposition of this, writes, There is an allure about Moab. But like all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, it is a deceitful seduction. It promises life, but can only give death. I mean, life is hard enough making the right choices, amen? How much more when we make the wrong ones? Solomon put it like this. The way of the unfaithful, say it, that's hard. And Naomi has found herself in a hard place. She left for one famine and ended up with three funerals. She's in a hard place. She needed to go home. Some of you here this morning and watching online, you are in a hard place. I don't mean you're taking drugs. I don't mean you're sleeping around. I don't mean anything like that. You're just in a hard place. For whatever reason, you've gone there and you're there. It's time to come home. Skip Heisig put it like this. The quickest way... The quickest way back is to just turn around. And that's what it means to repent. That's what it means to repent. It means that you see. It makes sense. I'm going the wrong way. It's why I can't sing the Lord's praises. It's why pride is welling up in my heart. I don't want to end up in Moab. And some of you would say, I'm there now. Oh, God, help me. How do I get out? Turn around. He loves you. He is the God who rescues. He's the God who will accept you. You've got to come back. Ruth, as the story goes, and as you'll know, and many of you already do, would change directions. Just like some of you need to. Most people's favorite line in the book of Ruth is the one you'll see next week when, you know, her... Naomi's saying to her daughters-in-laws, go back home, go back to your gods, find other husbands, and Orpah does. Ruth says, no way, Jose. That's not, that's not Hebrew, by the way. <laughs> no. I'm going where you're going. My God's going to be your God. And I love that. 
But my favorite part of the story is in the next chapter, and I'll just read it to you. You're not going to see it up on the screen. It's the first meaningful dialogue between the hero, Boaz, and Ruth in the love story. Ruth is beside herself. Why would you be so nice to me? I'm a foreigner. I'm a Moabite. And Boaz responds by saying, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me. And how you left your father, mother, and your native land to come to a people you didn't even know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord. Listen to this. The God of Israel under whose wings you've come to take refuge. That's my favorite line in the story. And what a beautiful description of salvation. Coming under the protective wing of God. Jesus Christ, whose name means salvation, left his place of light to come into this world of darkness through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, our repentance, our coming to him. He married himself to a bunch of foreigners to bring us to his kingdom of light forever. Hallelujah. We, the church, are his bride. We are Ruth. But some of you have still got to accept the author, the offer, rather, of Jesus to be married to him. To believe that he died for you. To believe that he was buried for you. To believe that he rose again for you. To accept him as your kinsman redeemer. To accept him as the one who will snatch you from all of your pride. From all of your waywardness. From your place in Moab. Or the fact that you're heading that way. And he will deliver you. And there are many here that need to be delivered. And you know it in your heart of hearts. Will you come? Jesus said, come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest in my land. Will you come? Let's pray. God, thank you for the story of Ruth and for these powerful, meaningful, circumstantial names and their incredible meanings. Thank you for reminding us, Lord, and asking us questions. What is my name? What is your name, dear friend, as we pray here? Would you be willing to admit to God that you are Jacob? You're a deceiver. You're a sinner. You're wayward. You've gone the wrong direction. Could you acknowledge your pride to him right now? Admit you're lost. Where are you from? Is your past the thing that's bogging you down right now? God doesn't care about your past. He cares for you. Come to him. Turn to him. And believe in his son, the Lord Jesus. 
everyone here as we come to the conclusion of this prayer has to ask this question where am I headed what are the direction of my feet what is the pulse of my heart can I sing the Lord's song or am I in a foreign land where it it just doesn't come out. God loves you. And you need to remember that the quickest way back home is just to turn around. Will you do that right now? And Lord, we will give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.